Hey, Connect Church, uh, PD in the house, and uh, I'm in some of y'all's house, and then I'm in God's house in multiple locations today. Hey, welcome uh, to our series entitled STD, Socially Transmitted Diseases. For those of you who have been here for many weeks, congratulations. For those of you who are here for the first time, hey, I want to encourage you to jump in. As I said previously, listen, this is a video. I I really wanted to be the one to talk to you and kind of complete this task as we embarked on this uh, sensitive series dealing with a lot of the concerns that we see in culture. And we've been using the life of Daniel more or less uh, through the series as our key character study and really looking at, you know, what was unique about what he did in Babylon and how that applies to where we are in the United States of America. And so, as I get going today, I've entitled today's message, My Daddy's Handwriting. My Daddy's Handwriting. Now, uh, for some of you, if you can go back a little bit, if you were in school anytime, let's just say in the 80s back, maybe it's still around, I don't know. But do you remember, how many remember I show of hands? And I need you to engage, and come on, Ashlyn, especially you. I need you to engage. How many with the, with, the, with the raising of hands remember penmanship class? Come on, penmanship, you remember that? All right, yeah, maybe not so popular now, but man, I was like a boss at penmanship. Do you know what I mean? Like I had really good writing. In fact, the guys would make fun of me and the girls all wanted to write like me because I, I, I wrote like a girl. And I, so I was sort of embarrassed, but I couldn't help myself because I was kind of a, a neat freak or whatever. But I've always had good penmanship. And then later on in penmanship class, we went from printing to cursive. That was like, what? You know, all the loop-de-loops and all the curves and hoops and stuff. And, and uh, some people, you know, when it came to whether it be penmanship or cursive or, or printing or cursive writing, some people just no matter what, they couldn't write legibly. And one of the things that I learned uh, growing up in the Fry household as I got older was that my old man, Papa Ernie Fry, I mean, he had some of the worst handwriting in the world. I'm not kidding. For those of you who knew him, he used to say, son, um, he would sign his name and I'd be like, dad, nobody's going to even know. It was like this. I mean, he'd hold like the end of the pen and be like, and it was this crazy line. And some of you guys know who you are. And he did that. I'm like, dad, that doesn't even look like your name. He's like, son. When they can't decipher it, it's a sign of intelligence. <laughs> I'd be like, what? That is absolutely nonsense. His signature, you know, and anything he wrote, especially if it was cursive, it was like hieroglyphics. And I can remember when I was the associate pastor under my father as the senior pastor, and the staff, they would all come to me. And they'd be like, Derek, can you help us? Like, we're a little bit scared to ask him about this, and we don't want to make fun of him and stuff, but we have no idea what this says. Can you interpret uh, can you interpret these words? And so I was the only one, it seemed like, on the staff that could help interpret what my daddy wrote. Anyway, today uh, we're going to go to Daniel chapter 5, and we're going to look at a story that's all about handwriting, okay, handwriting. And there was a different person who wrote some things there, and there was only one person who could interpret what he wrote. But before we get into that, where have we been so far? All right, quickly. In week one, we talked about cultural concerns with specifics to sexuality. Yep, we went there. We talked about a whole bunch of stuff. We talked about our, uh, you know, uh, relational problem, our 
theological problem and our social dilemma, that we are in a social dilemma because my view is different than your view. We're having conflict and chaos. In week two, we talked about and we learned in the story of Daniel and his three friends, his three amigos, we learned that the world, Babylon, is not just a location, but it's a world system that we can apply to us today, but that Babylon was trying to indoctrinate them through language and literature and customs and behaviors and training. And if we are not being indoctrinated by the word of God, we're being indoctrinated by the words of the world. And then last week, we spent a whole message talking about how to stand strong. It's not just grace, 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 but then we never kind of confront things or have to stand up and stand out a little bit or or be bold and when are those places that we have to kind of draw a line and can we still retain respect uh, influence and integrity and the answer was yes we've learned in the series so far fundamentally how to stand firm and still love well we've learned how to have truth with grace and see them both coexist so i don't know about you but uh daniel isn't just a book of of history and just a book of of prophecy but it it teaches us not only about the end times but the book of daniel in particular through chapters one through six is a field manual for our life right now and so i hope that when you go home you read these chapters and you unpack them for yourself but let's go to daniel chapter five we're gonna get into it and, and there, here's our big question for today are you ready are you ready ashland are you ready framingham I know you online people already because you've been doing this for a while, okay? Is the handwriting on the wall for America? Is the handwriting on the wall for America? Have you ever heard that phrase, the handwriting's on the wall? That's like saying something big's about to go down. You know, like, uh, you know, we can see the handwriting on the wall and there's a certain situation, uh, you know, a bomb, a shoe is about to drop as it were. And this is taken from this book in, uh, and Daniel in chapter five, somebody's, you know, getting sick or somebody's uh, become ill and they end up in the hospital and, and the people will be in the outer room saying, yeah, we, we saw this coming. We, we saw the handwriting on the wall or somebody lost their job or somebody got laid off. And, you know, we, we yeah, he should have seen the handwriting on the wall. So that phrase, that idiom is, is not just for then. That phrase uh, is for not only our nation, it's not just for our church, it's not just for our families, but I like to say it's for you and it's for me as individuals. Now, we're gonna do a verse by verse study. This is where we're gonna go, we're gonna go verse by verse, by verse exegete um, Daniel 5, one through 27. So get your Bibles out, get your digital Bibles out. If you're, if you're home, pull your big fat Bible out. If you're in church, get your Bible out. And let's look at what's happening here in verse one. Before I get into verse one, understand this. Um, where we are now, this is about 66 years after Nebuchadnezzar besieged Jerusalem and and ransacked it and just you know you know and and brought all the the um uh hebrews into exile and and daniel now in daniel chapter five five chapters in now he's in his 80s he was just a young man in chapter one but this is 66 years later and now there's a new king belshazzar and he is the son most people think he was the grandson just by virtue of age of nebuchadnezzar and he's throwing a huge, huge party. Look what it says in verse 1. 
King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles, and he drank wine with them. It's, it's like wine and dine time with Belshazzar. He's the new king, he's large and in charge, he's kind of high and haughty because of his military victories. Uh, he's young, uh, he's rich, he's powerful, but he's a little cocky, he's a little conceited, he's a little self-centered, he's a little, uh, you know, prideful, as you will begin to see. And by the way, this party's no small party. This is like the party of all parties. There's a thousand, like, VIPs. By the way, they're probably having this party in one of the seventh, seven wonders of the world, the Hanging Gardens of Babylon. The, the, the walls around Babylon are 80 feet high, and, and, and these walls, coupled with the Euphrates River that would come in under the walls, gave the Babylonians and the king here uh, a certain certainty, a confidence, a self-confidence, uh, a self-sufficiency. And that is a lot like America today. That's a lot like you and me today. They were totally unconcerned about anything going wrong in their life. Uh, they, they knew they could get through it no matter what. And the king decides he's going to do it up big. So he has all these great people. Like if you were having a party and you had all the money in the world and you're a king of an empire, like who would you have? Would you have J-Lo, Beyonce? Like, like who would you have? Lord and Taylor, you know? Would you have these? Would you have, what, what's, what are their names? Uh, um, um, Megan and, and, and Harry, would you have Oprah? Like, who would you have at your party? The who's who is probably at this party. Verse 2 says, while Belshazzar was drinking his wine, look what he did. He gave order to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple. Dum, dum, dum. It's really bad. Uh, and, and, and so the king and his nobles, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. So this is really, really bad. This is sacrilegious. Uh, all these people are at a party. They're all getting drunk. Uh, they're not using their better judgment. And the king in the middle of that, probably all in on that, says, hey, go get those silver and gold goblets my daddy got from Jerusalem back in the day. Let's use those and let's party like rock stars. And so he shows off here. He kind of flexes his authority. And this is deeply disrespectful. And it's seriously offensive uh, to God. It'd be like, it'd be like getting ready to have a party around the corner, you know, at somebody, some rich person's house on the water, and they go to a church, and they ransack it, and they take the communion cups, and so everybody gets smashed. It's like, look at this picture here. It's like, you know, crunk cup for a frat party, all right? Yeah, you know, and this is very bad. This, this is a modern example of this, but this is what's happening right here. This was deeply disrespectful. And not only that, this little PG-13 for those of you maybe that it applies to, but you may not realize this, but if there are concubines there, it's because he's having an orgy. This is a, uh, Belshazzar is a playboy and he's having a pagan pleasure party. Babylon's kind of like twin values were uh, pride and pleasure, pride and pleasure. And, and so there's two big problems here in this environment. And, and, and Belshazzar is really saying, not only am I not down with whatever that was in the past, these Hebrew gods and all that, I don't care about all that. I'm God. You know, I'm the man. You know, it's all about me right now. And I can call the shots and I can have it the way I want to have it. Verse 3. So they bring the gold goblets that have been taken from the temple, and all those people are there, the kings, the nobles, the wives, the concubines, and they're drinking like rock stars. Verse 4, they drank the wine, and the Bible says they praised the gods, small g, by the way, 
of gold, of silver, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. What the heck does that mean, Pastor D? See, their gods were building materials. You got to sometimes look a little deeper into the meaning sometimes of what you're reading in this Old Testament context. In other words, these people were very materialistic. Okay, so it was not only pleasure, it was not only power, but it was possessions. They were all about materialism. They were like, look at this empire, look what I can build, and look what I can buy. And we praise the gods that gives us the ability to build and buy whatever we want. And he was here, the master of this banquet, the center of attention, and he made himself such. It's, a, it's, a, it's like happy hour at another level. It's steroidal happy hour. And God, rest assured, is watching him. Uh, think of that song, I'll be watching you right now. Um, but the Bible tells us things about this. It says, and, and you need to know this about today. The Bible says, don't be deceived. God is not mocked, okay? Whatever a person sows, he will reap. The Bible tells us that God opposes the proud. He hates pride, but he gives what? Grace uh, to the humble. Jesus said, whoever exalts himself uh, will be brought low, will be brought low. And so um, this, this, this situation is really bad. And, 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 and when we, like Belshazzar, when we tell God by our words and by our actions, you know, I got it. I'm cool. I'm self-sufficient. I don't need you. I don't even respect you or your views. I can solve my own problems. You know, uh, I'm large and in charge. I can arrange my future myself. God's like, well, eventually I'm going to bring you low, just so you know. And that's what is getting ready to happen. And this can happen to nations. It can happen to churches. It can happen to families, fathers, mothers, pastors, people, individuals. I've seen it, and so have you. So the scene is, they're partying, they're partying like it's 1999. That song probably went over some of the young people's head. And in the middle of that, the music stops. And the record just totally stops. The dancing stops. You can hear a pin drop. It's just silent, you know? And all of a sudden, out of that, you, you, that, that silence, the king's face goes totally flush. And and he trembles in horror. And the Bible says his knees began uh, to knock. His, he's got a knee knocking moment. And then out of that, you see this disembodied hand come out of nowhere and begin to write on the plaster on the wall. Absolutely crazy. Verse five, it says, suddenly the fingers of a human hand appeared in the middle of the party and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. The king watched the hand as it wrote. His face turned pale and he was so frightened that his legs became weak and his knees were knocking. And, and, and this, guys, this is where we get these idioms, you know, of the handwriting on the wall and, and knee knocking. It, it comes from the Bible. I don't know if you realize that. But it was as if he saw a ghost. And I don't know if you could even imagine what that must have been like to see this creepy hand like was it like a hand they'll probably show you a picture was it a hand like from the Adams family remember that the thing you know um what what was what did, what did it look like all we know is it was just a hand and it was a human looking hand and and it shows up and it and it begins to write and and I think it's God basically saying Belshazzar, I've got a direct message for you. I've got a DM for you. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not calling you up on the phone. I'm writing my message to you right on the wall in front of everybody. 
And, and there's this famous painting that uh, Rembrandt put out there, and, and, and they'll show you this. It's called Belshazzar's Feast. Look at this picture. It's really amazing. You can see, you know, the, the white in, in, in the king's face and, and the fear that comes over them and the hand that's writing. It's interesting how they organize the words. There's even speculation about how Rembrandt um, put it that order that way. But the question is, what did he write? What did he write? He wrote this in verse 5 and 6. The inscription said, Mene, Mene, Tico, Parson. Or one place says, you farson, depending on the, the uh, translation. And I'm going to tell you what that means in a few minutes, so just kind of put that in your back pocket. But likely, this was written in Aramaic. Belshazzar likely could read it, but he definitely couldn't understand it. So what does he do? He summons uh, his leaders to help him, but listen to who he solicits his help from. Verse 7, the king summoned enchanters, astrologers, and diviners. And then he said to these wise men of Babylon, whoever reads the writing and tells me what it means will be clothed with purple and have a gold chain. It's like an authority. Placed around his neck, and he will be made the third highest ruler in all the kingdom. Now just time out for a second. I sometimes think there's a lot of people that skip by these things and we don't think it has application to us today, but I think you need to be careful because what he's doing here is he's consulting with occult resources, occult sources. In modern times, it might look a little bit different today. It might be going to a psychic. It might be going to a tarot card reader. It might be going to a horoscope. It might uh, participating in a seance. Uh, I remember being exposed to that when I was five years old. You know, and I just want you to know, and I don't know who this applies to, but I felt like I need to tell you this. This is not okay for Christians. This is forbidden in God's word. You need to stay away from such practices. Uh, you're actually uh, entertaining, talking with, inviting demonic activity into your life. God alone can predict the future, and he writes the future with his finger, okay? And so you're literally potentially talking to demons and familiar spirits when you do this. And what is that about? It's the enemy's attempt to draw God's children away and into deception. So, so, so just, just put an exclamation point. No more ignorance here. That is not okay. Just trust me as your pastor on that. Verses 8 through 9, it says this. <laughs> then all the kings and the wise men came in, but they could not read the writing. So, the king becomes even more terrified and his face grew even more pale and his nobles more baffled and then boom, the doors open and queen mother shows up. That's what the Bible says. Verse 10, the queen hearing the voice of the king and his nobles, she comes into the banquet hall. May the king live forever. Don't be alarmed. Don't be freaked out. There's a man. In other words, I know a guy. You know when you know people who say something like, I know a guy, I know a guy. That's how I feel sometimes. I'm blessed with relationships. I don't know how to fix stuff. I don't know how to do that or do this, but I know somebody who does. But anyway, she says, I know a guy in your kingdom who has the spirit of the holy gods in him. Anyone want to guess who this might have been? You got it right. It's, it's, it's Dan the man. Dan the man, is, he's the man of the hour, and he's filled with, with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, Daniel, at this time, is old. He's no longer young, and the king doesn't even know who he is, doesn't remember him. It's so far, so much time has gone by. And so look at how the queen mother describes Daniel. She says this. She says, uh, Belshazzar, in the time of your father, Nebuchadnezzar, this man Daniel was found to have insight, intelligence, and wisdom like that of the gods. I was going to do a completely different message here today because I wanted to talk to you about how in testing, God, God gives us gifts 
supernatural gifts, when you will stand strong, you look through Daniel 1 through 6 and you will see one time after the other, every time they passed the test, God gave them supernatural understanding and wisdom and the ability to interpret dreams and forecast the future and see what no one could see. And here's another example. And now he's in his 80s and they're still saying that about him. And, and so later she describes him like this in verse 11. In the time of your father, he was found to have the insight, the intelligence, the wisdom, right? Amazing. Is, by the way, is that how uh, people in the world describe you as a Christian? Yeah, you know, that Tom, that Sue, that whoever, they, they're just so wise. They're just so, so insightful, so much wisdom. Verse 12, it says, your father, as she continues, appointed Daniel a chief because he was found to have a keen mind and knowledge and understanding and also the ability to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve difficult problems. Call for him and he'll tell you what the writing means. Call Dan the man and you're going to be okay. This is amazing. This is how people should talk about us as Christ followers. And, and there, it's, it's as if, like, even though I don't believe like you do, your gods and your practices and all that kind of stuff, you know, no, I know you can help me solve problems. I know you have wisdom and insight. I invite you in to my situation, even with these differences. Let that be said of the church of Jesus Christ again. Let that be said of Connect. Let that be said of, of you as the father of your household and you the leader of your business and me as the pastor of this church. Uh, and, and sadly, that hasn't been said about Christians. Sadly, if we were describing uh, Christians today, or somebody was describing Christians, they would say we're petty, or or or, or, or we're we're closed-minded, or we're or we're judgmental, or we're or we're unintelligent even. And so, not this guy. Dan was Dan. Daniel was Dan the man, and he was the God. For, he was the guy for this moment. Verse thirteen. This is so good. So Daniel was brought before the king, and the king says to him, if you can read this writing and tell me what it means, I'm going to put you as third in command of the entire kingdom. You're going to be the prime minister, and you're going to get all this, all this benefit, a chain and purple and, 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 and power. And, and he appeals to Daniel's ego, and Daniel literally doesn't give a rip. He's like, bro, I'm 80 years old. You know what I mean? I don't need that crunk. You can keep it. Like, you can, you can, you can, you king, you can take your bling. Like, I don't even, look at me, I'm 80-something years old, right? But he's still tactful, though, while he says it. He still has respect. Verse 17 says, Daniel answered, you can keep your gifts for yourself. In fact, you can give your rewards to someone else. Nevertheless, even though you're a heathen, a pagan king, you're not really doing things right, I'll read the writing for the king, and I'll tell him what it means. And so... All of a sudden, Daniel basically, he sees the writing on the wall and he gives an unbiased interpretation of that and he recognizes immediately, get this, he recognizes his daddy's handwriting. See, just like I could interpret my father's handwriting and other people couldn't, it, why was that? Because I walked and talked with my dad many times because I'd seen so many things that he'd written. He'd, he'd written me so many, so many notes over the course of my life, and I'd read his notes uh, over the course of my life so many times. It was a familiarity to him. Daniel walked and talked with God for so long. He knew his daddy's handwriting. My question to you is, do you know your father's handwriting? Would you recognize it if he wrote you a note? And he then reminded his son of his dad's end. Daniel comes in and is like, okay, I want to tell you something here. And in verse 18 through 20, here's kind of what happened. He says, your dad, you know what? He got proud like you. 
and God knocked him right off his horse. He stripped him of all of his power, and, and he began to kind of go insane. He couldn't even believe this happened to him, and he's crawling around on his hands and knees uh, like, a, like a four-legged animal. This all happened before he got saved, and he was known as the Mad King. And here's a picture of him. Look at, look at, look what he looks like. He's just this hairy animal. He's got these long fingernails. He's on all four. And Daniel tells his son or his grandson about uh, his father or his grandfather. In verse 18, he said, God put him on the throne, Belshazzar. But when he heard, he became arrogant and filled with pride, like you. He was deposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory and driven away from the people. Listen, until he acknowledged the Most High God is sovereign over all, the kings of the earth, and, and, and that God sets the kings of the earth and sets them uh, over anyone he wishes. God basically, what? He's large and in charge, right? Even when life might seem out of control to you, you need to know something. God is in control. I hope you think, I hope you believe that that is encouraging. He rules nations. He determines our future. He's setting up things right now. He's writing his story with the, the finger on his hand. And so you don't have to despair when personalities and politicians and governments seem to be moving in certain situations. His finger is writing the story for God's glory. And, and, and Nebi got saved later. You're going to see him in heaven. But look at this. In verse 22 it says, But you... Different story, different ending coming. You, Belshazzar, his son, have not humbled yourself, though you knew, you knew all this. He must have known it, but he chose to forget it. I don't know. Instead, he says, you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You have these goblets taken from the temple, brought to you, and all these people that you had drink from them. God, in essence, is offended by your behavior. And I have to wonder if God is offended by our nation. I have to wonder, and this is a tough message to bring out there, but I have to wonder if he's offended by our preoccupation with pleasure and our preoccupation and abuse of power and our, and our celebration of sin, whether it be direct or indirect, our, our misuse of the things of God is the handwriting on the wall. Verse 23, it says, You praise the gods of silver and gold and bronze and iron and wood and stone, which... You can't even see. You can't hear. You can't understand. But you did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life, Belshazzar, and all your ways. Whew. Therefore, he sent this hand to write this inscription. My daddy wrote that. He wrote it to you. You know what this means, mene, mene? It's three words, but mene is twice, tikal, parson. You know, what does this handwriting say? Well, mene means, it means numbered. Uh, Tikal means weighed. And parson means divided. It says, God has numbered your days, Belshazzar. Your time is up. Your, your, your empire is coming to an end. The party is about over for you. <laughs> Judgment is here. Mene, mene. That's what that means. And then it says, Tikal, weighed. Your life has been weighed on the scales of God. And you've been found wanting. You've been found insufficient funds. You've been found not weighing enough on the scale to be able to offset all the things that you've done wrong. Things are out of order. You're too light. You come short. And then parse it. It means your kingdom. Everything that you think you built will be divided. and It'll be given over uh, to someone else. And this must have been a tough sermon, 
for Daniel to deliver. In fact, back then, you know, they would kill the messenger. Kings would kill the messenger. And they kill the bearer of bad news, so to speak. But that's not what happened. Amazingly enough, because of his influence or the anointing of God on his life, I don't know, but it says in verse 29, they make him the prime minister. They put him as third in command. And it's because, I think, of his faith and of his wisdom and of his intelligence and his problem-solving and his godliness. Guys, look at Daniel's life. Apply it to your life. Remember, every test, I think, within the Bible has a promotion on the other side of it. Every test that we pass elevates us to our next level of service for the one true king. So what happens to Babylon? Here's kind of the punchline. Daniel, he, un he unpacks this prophecy. He's brought in before the king at the bidding of queen mother. The king listens to it, and unbeknownst to him, Unbeknownst to the king and all the people at this party and all the nobles and all the VIPs, uh, what they don't know is at that very moment, outside the celebration, outside the walls of Babylon, the, the, uh, the, the Euphrates River that would run underneath the walls of the city has been redirected. And the Medes and the Persians have come together and they're, they're, they were able to come under the wall when the river had uh, receded. And they come right under the wall and without even any way to respond or, or any way to defend themselves, they attack and they immediately defeat the city. Surprise attack overnight. And the Bible says in verse 30 and 32, that very night Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain. And Darius the Mede took over the king, the whole kingdom, and became king at age 62. See, mark it down. This was the end of an empire. Historically, we know that... Um, that Belshazzar was beheaded on October 11th, 539 B.C. Here, here's the point. Here's the point. Every, uh, every nation is temporary. Every government, every politician is temporary. All leadership and power is temporary. In some respects, we could say we're just kind of like loose change in the pocket of God. In his sovereignty, he chooses just to use us and, and to do things and accomplish things through us. By his grace, we can participate that, and it's a privilege to do so. But he could quick, just as quickly remove us anytime he wants. And I think there are conditions that could lead us to that removal very quickly. And so the lesson for you and me, or the modern application, is this is history, yes, but it's also prophecy. This is a forecast, as it were, of our future. Is the handwriting on the wall for America? Is the handwriting on the wall uh, for us? And if you're a student of scripture, and if you apply that phrase, I don't think you have to be like a, a, a scholar to discern the times that we're in. In other words, they used to say you should have the Bible in one hand and a newspaper in another. And when the Bible is seen as hate speech, well, um, then we're, we're living in a crazy time, you know? Uh, the, the handwriting is on the wall. When families are fractured and, and, and broken and, and the numbers keep going up for no-fault divorce, the handwriting is on the wall when our abortions are an all-time rise. When it's a fatherless generation like no other time, the handwriting's on the wall. When marriage is mocked as an institution created by God, the handwriting is on the wall. When nations are divided politically, racially, uh, economically, uh, morally, you pick a thing. The handwriting's on the wall, everybody. Let's make it personal, though. Is the handwriting on the wall for you in Ashland, where you're sitting, and you in Framingham, where you're sitting, and you online, where you're sitting in your home? Is the handwriting on the wall for you? See, this passage, it's heavy. I didn't want to talk about this. Am I, you know, 
if my life was placed on the scales of God, would, would I be found wanting, right? Insert, you know, this scale. Look at this scale, right? I mean, there's three takeaways that we have from this. All of you guys need to understand something. Your days are numbered, you know? So you better use them wisely. Redeem the time. Make the most of it. Don't waste it. Don't squander it. Don't just party. Be purposeful and intentional with your life. It's, it's appointed unto every man, the Bible says in Hebrews 9, 27, to die. It's, it's an eventuality. It's, a, it's, a, it's an inevitability. And after that, the Bible says the judgment. You'll be on the scale, weighed on the scales of God. Your life literally hang in the balance on the scales of God. And, 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 and you, you need to be ready. Mine, mine. You need to be ready for that. Uh, our life will be weighed in the eyes of God. Tikal. Like, are you, are you a lightweight for the things of God, or, or do you carry that weight that God has for you, you know? I think some people just think it's, it's going to be all about more good than bad at the end of it all. Even Christians, we, we, we might have some theology in our head, but I think sometimes we're, we're going through life thinking, well, I'm not that bad. I'm no Mother Teresa, but I'm no fill in the blank. Listen, it don't matter. That, we're, we're miss, you, you can't just make heaven that's not how God wants you to live. Just kind of scoot in there uh, and, and hope, hope that your good's going to outweigh the bad. No, it's not based on, let me be clear. You know, the things that we have to, uh, if it wasn't for the cross, the things that we have to fulfill is the law, the, the commandments. I don't, know, I don't know about you, but how many in Ashland, how many in Framingham have ever broke a commandment? If you're not raising your hand, you're lying, and then you've already broke a commandment. <laughs> all right? And the Bible says if you break one, you broke them all. So... You, you, you failed. The survey says, you know, all the commandments, you know. And then and there's not only the moral law of God, there's the law of love. That's, that's basically where it talks about in Matthew 22, where we need to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our strength, with all our might. Then it says to love your neighbor as yourself. Your neighbor is not just the person that you go to school with every day or the guy at the soccer or the guy at jiu-jitsu or the guy that you work with. Your neighbor is the one in need. If you read the story of the Great Samaritan, you can see that. Are you helping those people in need? Are you loving those people? Are you fulfilling the law of love? God's called us to do that. And if you do love your neighbor, then all the, all the law is summed up in that. And then, of course, you've got to fulfill, I think, the, the, the holiness that is only accomplished by the person of Jesus Christ. We talk about holy men that are out there. There's really only one who is holy. And the Bible tells us to be holy as I am holy. But the truth is, we're not. And that's the point. You can't keep the law. You can't love the way with everything you got. You can't be as holy as Jesus. We all come up short. We all come up wanting. All right? The scales out of balance. Not enough good to offset all the bad that, that, that we've done. And then, of course, there's this final word, parson. If you, it, it, talk, it means you, unite. It, it's talking, it means divide, excuse me. And so if we don't unite around God's word, then we'll be divided like the rest of the world. So God wants us to learn from this handwriting on the wall and this prophetic message, not only to Belshazzar, not only to Babylon, but to you and to us as a people of God. So, Pastor Derek, how can I measure up? Because I, if, if I'm honest, I feel like a lightweight, you know. I'm, a, I'm, I'm definitely full of sin and, and wickedness, and, and I'm found wanting. And, that, and that's where the gospel comes in. That's what's so awesome and so amazing about the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't know if you realize this, but that scale, there's a cross that holds our life in balance. 
there's, there's a cross there. And there was this divine exchange, this massive exchange that took place 2,000 years ago on Calvary where the very wrath of God, instead of it being poured out like it was on Belshazzar and the people there, instead of the wrath of God being poured out upon you, Jesus, in the garden and also on the cross, he looked into that cup and he drank that cup he drank that cup of God's wrath. He probably saw all of God's wrath, and he took that. You remember when he said, you know, God, if there's any way you can take this cup from me, I'd be so grateful. He was looking at the, the, the price and the weight of that, and he took that upon himself. He exchanged your, your he took upon himself your sin for his sinlessness and his righteousness. Look what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. God took the sinless Christ and poured into him our sins. Then in exchange, he poured God's goodness. He poured God's goodness into us, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. So the cross was at the center of the scale, and he balanced the books, the account. He brought them uh, to zero, as it were, on the scale. And, and if you trust him with your account, as it were, with your life, uh, if you humble yourself and repent, then you, he can take that cup of wrath for you. You don't have to face the consequences. It's the same thing that can happen for the church of Jesus Christ. It's the same thing that can happen for the people of God. So you're right. You don't weigh enough. You don't weigh enough to get into heaven, but Jesus does. You can't be acceptable because of what you've done, but if you repent and you humble yourself and you accept what he has already done for you, you can be 100% acceptable. You can weigh enough and you can get your scales uh, evened out. You can get your scales balanced and you can find yourself not wanting but fully accepted and receive a new life. And the question is, when, when you go before God, will you be found wanting? Will you be found wanting? I think a lot of America is right now, and we don't have a responsibility just for ourselves, but for many that are in front of us. The truth is, this is strong, but I think sin is coursing through the veins of America like a cancer. And God sees it all. He sees the United States of Babylon right now. And this probably won't go viral on YouTube or anything, but it's for you. This is a word for you. This is a word for our church. On Judgment Day, on Judgment Day, he won't weigh you as an American. He will weigh you as a Christian. In 2 Chronicles 7, 14, many of you have heard this before, but then it says, then if, 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 if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I'll hear from heaven, I'll forgive their sin, and I'll restore their land. Now listen, I don't know where you are out there, but someone's life is hanging in the balance. I want to call all the hosts for the different locations online, Ashlyn, I want you to come down now. The worship team, you can come forward. Framingham, same. Please come. But I want you to think about this. Someone's life through you that you could reach, that you could touch, is hanging in the balance. Someone listening to me right now, right where you are in the room, your life is literally hanging in the balance. Are you found wanting? Is there an emptiness? Is there a hole in your heart? Is there something you have not been able to get over yourself? You, ha you can't do enough to feel okay, to feel in right standing with God, to feel like that connection is good, to feel like your conscience is clear. Hey, listen, that's why Jesus got on the cross for you. He's the only one who can balance the scale for you. 
And so listen, I wanna pray for you wherever you are. I wanna lead you in a prayer of salvation. This is very important. Some of you have been coming to church maybe a while, maybe weeks, maybe months, maybe even years, and you've never really given your full trust, transferred your trust from what your works to his finished work. And if you're ready to do that today, I wanna pray for you. Would you close your eyes everywhere you are, just close your eyes, everyone, but there are some of you that need to pray that prayer. If you're online, with every head bowed and every eye closed, in every space, in every location, every head bowed, every eye closed, come on, be very still. But if you're there right now and you know, when I ask that question, are you found wanting? If that's you, I want you to raise your hand good and high wherever you are. That's me, Pastor. I'm found wanting. I'm not certain. I'm not confident that if I stood on this, if I was in heaven and I was standing before God and my life was on the scales of God, I believe I'd come up short. That's me. And, and, and the leaders can see you where you are. And that's, they're the only ones that are watching. It's between you and God and those leaders. It's important that you go ahead and you stick your hand up good and high. Come on, you can do that. Don't miss this moment. Who cares if it's a video? God sees. God knows what's going on. This is between you and him. Now, I want to pray for you. You can put your hand down wherever you are. Online, you can put your hand out on the chat. Physically, wherever you are, put your hand down. And I want you to pray this prayer with me. And church, all of you who've prayed this prayer before or something like it, you know what I'm doing. Pray this with them. Come on, just pray this with them. Just say, I invite Jesus Christ to be my Savior, to be my Lord. I transfer trust from what I could do, what I think I've done, what I could ever do in the future. I transfer trust from my works to his finished work. God, I don't want to be a lightweight. Lord, I want my accounts to be full. I can't do that in my righteousness, but would you give me all of your righteousness in accordance with your word? In 2 Corinthians 5, 21, I receive your righteousness, your goodness poured into me right now by grace through faith in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. Listen, if you just prayed that prayer, the Bible says you're saved. You're born again. You have new life. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. And so this is what I want everybody to do in all the locations. I want you to give God a big praise, a big hand clap. Come on, let's rejoice for that decision that was just made everywhere. Listen, I'm going to turn the service over uh, to the different location leaders. If you made that decision online, you know what to do. Text to CC Saved at 97,000. We're going to send you something to help you on your spiritual journey. And if you did make that decision in a physical location, be sure to talk to somebody and get prayer before you go. We're going to worship. God bless you. I love you guys.